You know, we began this series several weeks ago. We said, you know, Romans for many is one of the greatest books in the Bible. Now, as I've been studying Romans 8, we've been preaching through 8 for several weeks now. Many writers and commentators say this is the greatest chapter in the Bible. So when you got the greatest chapter in the greatest book, we got something. Amen. Uh, our son, KJ, pastors in England and in high school, he was reading through the book of Romans. And when he finished Romans chapter eight, he made this note in his Bible. He said, if you are ever discouraged, come here. Anybody here ever been discouraged this morning? If you are ever discouraged, come here to Romans chapter eight. Tim Keller, Keller, Tim Keller says in Romans eight, that we find three foundational truths that enable us to face anything that comes our way during life. In Romans chapter eight, we see three. We've, we've, seen, we've seen one already. We'll see one today and then one next week. But in Romans chapter eight, we talk about our future hope. In chapter eight, verses 18 through 25, if some of you who were here for Carl Logan's funeral, I made a statement. I said, you know, there's no hope for Carl Logan. And I saw some people look up because see Romans chapter eight says, hope, why do you hope for something you already see? No one hopes for something they see. Carl Logan was seeing Jesus face to face. Today is Carl's birthday, his earthly birthday. But Carl is having, celebrating his first heavenly birthday because of Jesus, because he lives, amen? Because he lives. So when we get discouraged, we have a future hope. And then this morning, we're going to see that we have the Spirit's help. Or my granny used to say, hopes us. They use that old, he'll, he'll hope you out. He'll help you. We got a future hope, the Spirit's help. And then next Sunday, Brother Kyle's going to be preaching from Romans eight twenty eight. Just about everybody knows that verse, don't we? And we have the Father's hand. The Father's powerful hand. So a hope, we have help, we have the Father's hand. So we're, we're excited. These foundational truths allow Paul to write one of the greatest declarations of assurance. That's, this is really 31 through 39. I mean, if you really, if you ever need encouragement, that's where we go. And so that's where we're going. I hope, hope that you're excited about Romans chapter eight. But let's look this morning at verses 26 and 27. Paul says, in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts, that's the Father, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, Father, for the hope that we have because Christ lives. Father, we thank you that Jesus lives today in our lives through the Holy Spirit, that we are the temple of God, that you indwell every believer's heart with your spirit. You have given us your spirit as a down payment, as a pledge of more to come. And so God, today we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to wonderful truth from this passage. Lord, that you would minister to our hearts through your spirit. 
Lord, I pray that when we leave this place today, we would have a greater appreciation for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life, particularly in the area of prayer, and that, God, you would move in each of our hearts to make us men and women of prayer. So we pray this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 26 and 27, there are basically two thoughts this morning I want us to look at. Number one, there are several problems in our praying. We see that in verse 26. There are several problems in our praying. Paul begins verse 26 with the phrase, in the same way. Now, when you see that, obviously you say, well, in what way? Well, in the way that he's been talking about, he's referring here to something else. Now, there there are many writers. I'm going to kind of present two things here. Some writers and interpreters will say that Paul says in the same way because he has said that believers groan. You remember that? All humanity groans because of sin. You know, if you worked in your yard yesterday like I did, and you're sore today, and we have a body that's wasting away, sin, the, the results of sin, we groan in this body. Then Paul says creation groans. All of creation groans, longing for that day when we will be uh, made complete in our salvation and creation itself will be made new. So creation right now groans. And so some say, as Paul says, in the same way, the spirit groans. Now he does groan with us and for us, but you know, we groan because of our sin. Creation groans and suffers the consequences of sin. And I know the Holy Spirit doesn't groan because of sin. So I think he's talking about something else, okay? In the same way, I believe it goes back to verse 14. Look at verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For all the Spirit himself, verse 16, himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. In the same way, as the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, in the same way, he comes alongside to help us in our times of weakness. See, we have some problems when it comes to prayer. Paul says here specifically that the spirit comes to help our weakness and we do not know, look at verse 26, how to pray as we should. So, The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and helps us, helps us to know how to pray. He confirms our adoption in verse 14, and he enables our communication here in verses 26 and 27. So we see the Holy Spirit at work in our life, testifying with our spirit that we are children of God, coming alongside and helping us in in the ministry of prayer. So, He helps us because we have a problem. All of us do. If we're honest, we admit that we struggle with prayer. It's interesting that the disciples never asked Jesus to teach them how to heal. They never asked Jesus to teach them how to preach. And they never asked Jesus to teach them how to walk on water. That would have been my request. How'd you do that? But Pastor Jared read a while ago, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. I think they asked that for several reasons because they said, why do you pray all the time? Mark 135, before it, was yet dark, before it was yet light, Jesus went away to a lonely place and was praying there. 
the disciples saw Jesus spending so much time in prayer, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. If we admit this morning, we all have some struggles in our prayer life. Paul mentions two problems in our praying, specifically our weakness. And then he says, and we do not know how to pray. I've thrown in another struggle that many have when it comes to prayer. We don't pray. You don't have to raise your hand, but we don't pray. I call this prayerlessness. (laughs) We are prayerless. Our first problem is we are prayerless. Let me tell you, Samuel, if you've been reading through the Bible with the chronological Bible study, we've been reading a lot about Samuel lately, but Samuel made this statement in 1 Samuel 12, verse 23. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Samuel took this responsibility to be a man of prayer very seriously, very seriously. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. I read a book right out of college called The Life's Limitless Reach by a guy named Jack Taylor. And he calls this the sin of prayerlessness. You try that on spell check. Prayerlessness. But it's a very real condition. What is prayerlessness? Jack Taylor says this. Prayerlessness is that state in which one prays less than he ought, less than the Father desires, and less than that one himself knows he should. Can I I just stop for just a second? This is not a message to put any of us on a guilt trip, okay? Because I I am preaching to myself. Here's what I, I want us so excited about prayer that you're sitting there saying, man, hurry up so I can go home and pray. Hurry up, God, I need to pray. Because that's what I have gotten in this message. And you'll see why in just a minute. But we can all say, you know, I don't pray as much as I want to. I don't pray as much as I should. I'm guilty this morning of the sin of prayerlessness. Now, I know that does not apply to everybody. In the three, four churches I've pastored, I've known men and women who were great prayer warriors. And you know how I knew that? They were always kind of behind the scene, but they'd come up to me and say, Brother Keith, we need to minister to this family over here. We, we need to do this over here. And we need to, and I said, how'd you know that? Well, I just got a burden. God showed it to them. God gave them a birth. The Holy Spirit was speaking to them, interceding to them from the Father as he interceded for them to the Father. We'll see that in just a minute. But prayerlessness, we have a problem when it comes to praying is we don't pray the way we should. Some of us have given up on prayer because we've kind of given up on God. Dating myself a little bit back in the 80s, Ted Turner was the owner of the Atlanta Braves and a cable television magnet or whatever you call those guys. But he grew up in a Christian home. He had at one time, Ted Ted Turner thought of becoming a missionary. But he abandoned that idea along with the Christian faith because he had prayed for his sister who was sick and she died. So Ted Turner determined prayer doesn't work. God's not real. And he threw it all away. Because of that, he gave up on prayer and he gave up on God. Prayerless. Why do we not pray as much as we should? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Many have given up on prayer 
because we really haven't come to grips with what we see here in Romans 8, 26. Not only are we prayerless, but we are powerless, powerless. Paul says in verse 26, in the same way, the spirit helps our weakness. What weakness? The weaknesses we have when it comes to prayer. And there are many reasons for us to have weakness in prayer. It's just, uh, you know, we grew up singing, Jesus loves me. I would sing all these songs, but I'd run you out of here. You know, they are weak, but he is strong. He's not just talking about children. The song's not just talking about little children. They are weak, but he is strong. He's talking about all of us. And Jesus loves me. We're weak, particularly in our prayer life, though. Just as the Spirit confirms our adoption as sons, he helps us in our weakness in prayer. Why are we weak? Well, the psalmist said, Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. Some of us are weak in our prayer life because we have unconfessed sin in our life. It's kind of like my dad was a truck driver. And he hauled cattle to Kansas. And he'd be gone Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, come home on Fridays. And if I'd gotten in trouble during the week, my mom would say, wait till your dad gets home. And so when that 18-wheeler turned the curve and came in, I had mixed emotions. Because <laughs> I knew I was in for a spanking. My fellowship had been broken because of my disobedience. When we have sin in our life, unconfessed sin in our life, we're not anxious to go to our father, are we? So we have weakness there. Some of us find ourselves powerless because, uh, you know, we, we know what Jesus said in John 15. John 15, 7. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Like a blank check almost with conditions. If you abide in me and my word abide in you. Some of us today think back of those glory days, kind of like Dennis the Menace. One of my favorite Dennis the Menace cartoons was Dennis was headed up the steps to go to bed. And his mom said, Dennis, don't forget to say your prayers. He said, oh, yeah. Anybody need anything? You know, just that straight line of communication. Because we are abiding in Christ. His words abiding in us. And man, we were ready to take on hell with a water pistol. Because we were walking in the spirit. The glory days. Some of us remember those days, but we are far from that today. Today, we know we're not abiding in Christ or his word. And we feel powerless to pray. How about this one? All things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. You will receive. All things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Matthew 21, 22. We have seemingly lost all faith in prayer. We haven't Ted Turnered yet, but our prayer life is really weak because our faith seems so weak. So what do we do in our weakness? Do we just surrender to our weakness of sin or lack of faith? No, <laughs> here's the good news. If I've been talking to you so far, here's the answer. Here's the good news. We have a helper. The Holy Spirit himself. We have a helper, the Holy Spirit. He can cleanse us. He can strengthen us. And he promises to enable us to pray. Isn't that good news? It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. When I come to God honestly and say, Holy Spirit, you help my weakness, whatever it is. Lack of faith. 
lack of holiness, whatever it is, you take care of it because I want to talk to my daddy. I want to talk to my father. I need to pray. We have some problems. We're prayerless. We're powerless. But also our greatest problem many times is we're clueless, clueless. Women, let me just tell you, when your husband messes up many times, he forgets anniversaries. He says the wrong things. He doesn't do this. You know why men do that? They're clueless. We're, we're clueless. It's a guy thing. But all of us have a problem in the area of prayer. Look at that in verse 26. For we do not know how to pray as we should. We do not know how to pray as we should. Well, let me just give you some examples. You know, there are times when we really don't know how to pray for our children. Lord, will you protect them? But, you know, sometimes we learn the most when we go through tough times. Lord, will you save my children, my grandchildren? But, Lord, don't break them. Don't bring them to a point of brokenness. Well, that's not, how, how do we pray for lost people? Are we willing to say, Lord, whatever it takes? I mean, that's, that can be a hard thing to pray, can't it? You know, we pray here every Wednesday night. We pray for, for people who are sick. And many times, like Ted Turner's prayer for his sister, the Lord, I believe, heals them ultimately, but not physically the way we ask. And so should we pray, Lord, just take them home. I, like one guy said, my, my mother-in-law's at death door. Lord, I just pray you'd pull her through. No, you know, we, we have, <laughs> you think about that, but we don't know how to pray, okay? We don't know how to pray. Sometimes we don't know what to ask. You know, we're not the only one. The apostle Paul prayed three times that God would remove a thorn in the flesh. And finally, God said, my grace is sufficient. Think about Job, the whole book of Job. Job was trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? <laughs> or what have I done? I know, Lord, I had not done anything. Anyway, Job didn't know how to pray. What about Jesus? Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Are we willing to surrender our will to the will of the Father, to God's will? It'd be easier if we knew exactly what God's will was, wouldn't it? See, we don't know for sure God's will many times when we pray. Now, when we talk about God's will, that's not the message this morning, but God's will is very specific in here, okay? We know God's will, your sanctification. That's God's will. We know God's will that you forgive others who harm you. We know that's God's will. You love others. You pray for one another. We know, but when it comes to the specifics, Lord, who do I marry? Do I take this job? Do we buy this house? Many times, if we're honest, we just do not know God's will. We need help because we don't know how to pray as we should. See, the problem is we don't really know what we need. I went to Lowe's three times yesterday. I went to buy some fencing materials, came back, hole digger broke, went back to buy a hole digger. Anyway, it is the long story. But when I go to Lowe's, I find things that I didn't even know I needed. Does that ever happen to you? When I'm walking down the aisle, yesterday, this trailer hitch called out to me, you need me. I bought a car that didn't have the whole trailer hitch there. So I'm walking down, this trailer hitch calls out, buy me, buy me. And so I got it. 
Do you ever do that? That's what the Holy Spirit does for us, being serious and that's serious. The Holy Spirit tells us what we really need. How many times? Boy, just last week, I, I was working, and seriously, I've been so, I love being a co-pastor because I get to work on these messages, and, uh, and I was praying, though. And the Lord, I started in this direction in my prayers, and then the Lord took me to Psalm 104. Then the Lord took me to this area of prayer, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about these people, this people. I mean, it, it, it was amazing. I thought I needed this, but the Holy Spirit said, no. Here's where you need to be. Here's where you need to be. See, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us to the Father, intercedes to us from the Father. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. This is what the Spirit does. We don't often know. One other quick example. When I was in school here playing football, I, my freshman year I played on a JV team. My sophomore year, we had the old, Coach Brown always red-shirted sophomores unless you were a Tony Nathan or Jeff Rutledge or somebody. So I prayed all summer, Lord, don't red shirt. I pray I won't be red shirted. I don't want to be red shirted. I worked out hard all summer, came in that sophomore year. We had to run the mile the first day. I ran it in five minutes and two seconds. I was the fastest guy on the team. I was in shape and I got sick. Three weeks later, I'm in the hospital and I find out they're just going to go ahead and red shirt you this year. Man, I was crushed. I was crushed. The Lord didn't answer my prayer. But you know what? Now, as a 59-year-old that can't run an hour, a mile in five hours, <laughs> I'm looking back through my Romans 8:28 lens, and I see it differently. If I hadn't been redshirted, I would have graduated in 78. I wouldn't have been on the 79 national championship team. Worse than that, if I'd have graduated in 78, I'd have probably gone to work right out of college, and I would not have met Teresa Winter, June the 2nd, 1979, at First Baptist Church, Opelika, as I was preparing for my senior year at Alabama. Thank God for unanswered prayer. Amen? <laughs> Somebody ought to write a song about that. But thank God <laughs> for unanswered prayer. But see, when, we're, when our prayers are not answered the way we thought they would, we have to trust our Heavenly Father. And Romans 8, 28 is what we'll look at next Sunday. We have a problem. We're powerless. We're prayerless. We're clueless. We need help. That's why number two, there's one who partners with us in our praying. Verse 26, and the Holy Spirit comes alongside. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Now, if this, you know, as a Christian, this should excite us to know we have someone who helps us in our prayers. But let me tell you the secret. The Holy Spirit does not, listen to me, the Holy Spirit does not pray for us. He comes alongside us and enables us to help us, okay? Most people can quote Hezekiah 2.1. You know what that says. The Lord helps those who help themselves, right? Hezekiah 2.1, that's no verse. There's nowhere does it say the Lord helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible, contrary to what a lot of people believe. But listen to me, in prayer, this is one area where we take the ball along with the whole, it's the, the whole picture is like grabbing one end of a log. We grab one end, the Holy Spirit grabs the other end. 
He aids us. He comes along to help us. He is our helper. It's a long Greek word that I won't even attempt to pronounce, but it means to give a hand, to give a hand. So in the area of prayer, the Lord helps us as we take action. Wayne Grudem says, the word does not indicate that the Holy Spirit prays instead of us, but that the Holy Spirit takes part with us and makes our weak prayers effective. I don't know about you, but that's good news. That's good news. Are you ready to pray? Man, I am. The Holy Spirit takes our prayers, our weak prayers, and makes them effective. He really does help us as we take part in prayer. He really does. So how does the Holy Spirit do this? I'm glad you asked. The Holy Spirit intercedes, Paul says, in our prayers. As believers, don't you know we have two divine intercessors? We have Jesus in heaven and the Holy Spirit in our heart. If you don't remember anything else I said, there are two people who will never, two, two intercessors, divine intercessors, the Lord Jesus in heaven and the Holy Spirit in our heart. Hebrews 7, 24 says, but Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to also save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. We could talk about that for a long time, what that means, but let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our heavenly intercessor. We can come before the throne of God boldly that we may obtain grace and find mercy to help in our times of need. The Son in heaven intercedes for us and the Spirit in our heart intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit not only intercedes for us, Paul says, but look at verse 26. He intercedes for us according to the will of God. He intercedes for the saints, verse 27, according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, as I said several times, because I want you to get this, both ways. The Holy Spirit speaks to the Father for us, and he speak, the Holy Spirit speaks to us for the Father. That's cool, isn't it? That God speaks to me in prayer through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit enables me, he intercedes for me before the Father. When we pray in the Spirit, he communicates with the Father on our behalf, and then the Spirit communicates to us on behalf of the Father as he leads us to know God's will. So he intercedes for us. Secondly, the Holy Spirit intervenes in our prayers. Now, what does that mean? He searches, verse 27, the Spirit searches the heart, the, the one, he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He, who is he who searches the hearts? I said it as I, re- as I was reading the scripture. It's our father, the heavenly father. First Samuel 16, seven it says, God sees not as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, the father knows our hearts and we have to admit that sometimes our heart's not right. Sometimes we have to admit, like James said in James 4, we pray and do not receive because we ask with wrong motives. The Lord knows our hearts. Now, there are some times when we're praying and our heart's right with God. But the Lord knows our hearts and he knows exactly what we need, the best thing for us. Things we didn't even know we need. But yet the Father who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit 
So what does that mean? It means that the Father and the Spirit are on the same page, okay? The Father knows the Spirit, the Spirit knows the Father, and the Father knows us, and the Spirit intercedes. And so not only does He intercede, but He intervenes. What does that mean? He fixes our prayers on the way up. There are times when we ask amiss. We pray wrongly because our heart is not right. So the Holy Spirit knows the will of God, and He leads us to know what we should pray for. He intercedes for us according to the will of God. This is why we're told to pray in the spirit. Ephesians 6, 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. Now, our charismatic brethren have a little different definition of what it means to pray in the spirit. But let me tell you, the Bible says every believer ought to pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Wayne Grudem again says, to pray in the Holy Spirit then is to pray with the conscious awareness of God's presence surrounding us and sanctifying both us and our prayers. You see that? The Holy Spirit in us, around us, sanctifying us and our prayers as we pray in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only intercedes in our prayers and intervenes also, but the Holy Spirit intensifies our praying. Verse 26 said the Spirit prays in groanings too deep for words. Now, think about it. How many of us have prayed half-hearted prayers? Some of us go through prayers just because we know we ought to do that. Half-hearted prayers. And again, we are never to sit in judgment over anybody's prayer life, I'll tell you that, or the way they pray. But how many people, when they pray publicly, oh God, they sound like they've swallowed a communion table or something. You're just, they get this sanctimonious voice, oh God. We're not praying fervently. We're not, we may be praying arrogantly, if we're to be honest. But the Holy Spirit, James 5, 16 says that the fervent prayers of the righteous man availeth much. The fervent prayer. What what are fervent prayers? Do we pray fervently? One of my favorite stories. Kids used to ask me, Dad, you preaching or telling the truth? This is a true story. Guy named David Dykes. David pastored at Aniana. He pastored in Tallahassee. He was this small country. Then he got called First Baptist Gardendale. And now he's at Green Acres Baptist Church in Tyler. But David said when he was in Tallahassee, Alabama, there was a lady in his church who had, who had a lost husband. His name was Roy. And so every Sunday they prayed for Roy at Tallahassee Baptist Church. Every Wednesday night they prayed for Roy because he was lo- he was an alcoholic. He loved to drink and he was as lost as an Easter egg. He didn't care one thing about God. David said one Saturday afternoon he's watching college football and the phone rings and it's this lady and she told David, Pastor, Roy has quit drinking and he wants to give his heart to the Lord. So David said he jumped up out of his seat, went, drove over their house. And when he walked in their house, there was big old Roy, big man, no shoes on, whiskey bottles everywhere, sitting at the table with his hands in his face, weeping. So the wife said, pray for him, preacher. So David said he sat down beside Roy and he started praying, God, I pray. And then finally, just a few, the wife stopped him. Said, come on, preacher, you can do better than that. And so he got a little louder. 
And so he started praying for Roy louder and more you know, fervently. And then after a while, she stopped. She said, preacher, come on, preacher, you ain't praying. And he got down on his knees and started yelling to the Lord and praying and pleading with the Lord. And he just went on for several minutes. And finally, he stopped praying. And he looked around. The wife wasn't anywhere to be found. And as he was saying goodbye to Roy, he heard some moaning and groaning coming from a room next to her, to them. And he went in there, and there was this wife down, face first, in the shag carpet, crying out to the Lord, begging and pleading with the Lord to save her husband, Roy. Church, when we begin to pray in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit intensifies our prayer. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Too many of our prayers are simply half-hearted because we're not praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for us, communicating our groanings to God. When we have no words, the Spirit knows what to say. When we, all we can do is put our face on the shag carpet and cry out to the Lord, the Spirit knows what to say. That's how the Spirit intensifies our prayers. The Spirit intercedes for us, communicating our groanings to God. He conveys to God what we cannot put into words. When we have no words, He knows our heart. Now, let's wrap it up. Why am I calling this message the miracle of prayer? You know why? Any of us here today can talk to the Creator of the universe. Isn't that amazing? That's a miracle. We can talk to the creator of the universe. Through Christ, we become a child of God. He is our father. We receive his spirit. He comes to live in us. We become, as the Bible says, the temple of God. Do you not know that you're the temple of God and the temple of God is holy and that is what you are? That's a miracle. But all I've said this morning is for the believer, those who are in Christ and the spirit of Christ is in your life. If you are not in Christ, then the Holy Spirit does not dwell. That's the difference between a Christian and non-Christian. I mean, it's not just because we suit up and show up. The Christian has the Holy Spirit in their life. And if you're not a Christian today, the Holy Spirit is not in your life, but you can come and receive Christ and receive the Spirit of God. As we saw in, in, uh, in Luke 11, how much better, more will our Heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask of Him? That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Prayer, when you think about it, really is a miracle. But there's another reason why I call it the miracle of prayer. Because, see, every miracle begins with a problem. Somebody was sick when Jesus healed them. Somebody was blind when Jesus healed them. Somebody was dead when Jesus brought them back to life. That's a problem. Somebody was caught in a storm when Jesus walked on the water. Every miracle begins with a problem. So let me ask you this morning, do you have a problem? I do. I confess to you a life of prayerlessness, a life that's many times powerless and many times clueless. And I think if we're honest this morning, we all have a problem, do we not? That's where the Holy Spirit helps us. The fact that we have a problem with prayer is God's invitation to experience this miracle. 
there's one word I think that describes the church and it's distracted. See, we've been distracted by so many other things when prayer is our greatest need. I want to put this on the board. I hope we got it. There is never any need. There is never any need or any reason for any of us not to pray. Man, does that hit you in the heart? There is never any, why? We have the Holy Spirit waiting. Come, join me in prayer. There is never any need or any reason for any of us not to pray. Let me ask you three questions this morning. What is the Lord saying to you right now? What is the Lord saying to you? What are you going to do about it? Number two, what are you going to do about it? And number three, how can we pray for you this morning? Some of you right now are in the midst of a marriage crisis. Some a health crisis, finances, relationship. The greatest thing we can do at Alberta Baptist Church is pray for you. We have some people this morning who are prepared to pray for you, with you, if you just simply will come and ask for prayer. Ask for prayer. But this morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ, the greatest need in your life is to know Jesus. The one who took your sin on the cross, died for you, paid the penalty you can't pay, and he offers you forgiveness. Mark Twain said the greatest two words ever spoken were not guilty. In Christ, we are not guilty. He bore the pain. He bore the penalty for our sin. Your greatest need is to come. We would love to share with you how you can know Jesus. But any of us, we want to pray for you. Let's stand together. How can we pray for you this morning? As we sing together, you come. You come.